Let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Just the beautiful day reminds us of your goodness, that every good and perfect gift comes down from you. And the privilege that we have to, um, to worship, to meet in freedom, not in secrecy, to have a copy of the Bible and to study it together with women as we grow in our relationship around your word. We are so thankful, and we ask that you bless our time now, that you'd be honored in everything that I say, and that we would be hearers and doers of the word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn with me to James. James chapter 1, we're in verse 19, verses 19 through 27. All right, read with me. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the words and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, sorry, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So today, the title, following that outline that we've been talking about with heavenly wisdom, sorry, I'm gonna try that. Maybe that'll fix it. Heavenly wisdom, our title is Heavenly Wisdom Concerning Our Response to the Word of God. Heavenly Wisdom Concerning Our Response to the Word of God. That's our overarching theme today, Heavenly Wisdom Concerning Our Response to the Word of God. And remember I told you that back at the beginning that many people outline the book of James as tests of faith. We're not using that particular outline, but if we were, we'd be th- seeing to this today as our response to the word shows whether we have genuine saving faith or not. Our response to the word shows that. And these verses that we read today, some of these commentators, especially verses 19, uh, verse 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, every person should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. They view this as the table of contents for the book of James. Because chapter 2 is going to be about how we are hearers and doers of the word, right? So we're to be quick to hear. And chapter 3 is how we're going to be um, slow to speak, be about the tongue. And chapter 4 is how we're going to be slow to anger. So there's a little outline and parallel there. Just thought that was interesting to pass along. But we have three points today. And our first point is is how we respond to the word, how we should respond to the word. Our first point today is how we should respond to the word. I have three sub-points under that, and it'll be pretty easy. It's going to be, the first one is we need to be quick to hear. So our response to the word, we need to be quick to hear. So if you're looking in the context, remember James was a letter. It didn't have chapter divisions and verses and little head, headings that often will break our thought. We'll be reading, and we'll think, oh, that's the end of that section. But that's not how it went in James. It was a full letter that just continued on. So verse 18 says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So it's talking about the word, right, and how the word brings us forth. And then immediately he says, know this, my beloved brothers, every person should be quick to hear. 
And even as it goes on at the end of this section, it says that we need to receive the implanted word. So these commands about being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger are talking about how we respond to the word. And so our first response is that we need to be quick to hear. John MacArthur says that in his commentary that James' appeal is for believers to seize every opportunity to increase their exposure to, exposure to scripture, to take advantage of every privileged occasion to read God's word, or to hear it faithfully preached. We are to, ta- we are to desire and want to hear God's word and take every opportunity to do that. And we are a generation who gets that opportunity more than possibly any other. Between the podcasts that are available and the sermons that are online, you ha- we have great access to receiving the word. So I did want to just add a little caveat to that saying, we're not just supposed to, I listen to 20 sermons a week. <laughs> it's not just some kind of contest of how much you can expose. When John MacArthur wrote this, the internet hadn't exploded like it has now. But it's more that we are valuing the word and putting a high priority on it to take it in. But I always go back to that illustration Nick Woods shared when he came back from the missions trip that um, in America, we tend to think of maturity as increasing our knowledge. Where, you know, we all have, there's always a gap between our obedience and our knowledge. And we just always want to learn more. But in other cultures, they view maturity as closing the gap, right? And so this isn't just an accumulation of knowledge. It's, and it's how well we're applying what we're accumulating and what we're exposed to. Why is it so important that we're quick to hear the word? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16, because the word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119.11 says, They are the joy of my heart. That's what the psalmist says. So every now and then, it would be a good idea for us to pause in our lives and do a spiritual inventory of how we respond to the word. Could we say with the psalmist that they are our delight, that they are our meditation day and night, that they are the joy of our life? Could we say that we hunger and thirst for the word, that the word is our daily bread? And if we don't say yes to that, and there's periods in every believer's life where we would say no. John John Piper actually has a book, When I Don't Desire God, is the title, right? So there are times of dryness, and Pastor Brian even talked about that on Sunday. There can be times, I can't remember quite how the Puritan said it, but the you don't feel like God is distant, even though he's not, but you, don't, you, you feel like the heavens are closed to you, right? There are going to be times like that, but the mark of our life shouldn't be that way. And when we do go through those, those times, especially if we're not hungering or desiring the word, we should probably ask ourselves, what are we filling ourselves up with instead? What is dulling our desire? What is filling that? Because we're always hungering for something, right? So what's filling that void? So Maybe plan in your life, I don't know, every six months. Put on your calendar. Spiritual inventory, right, of, my, of how I um, receive the word. And then I remember another pastor said, it's not how many times, because sometimes, again, it can just be like, well, I'm doing my Bible reading plan. It's not how many times you go through the word. It's how many times the word goes through you, right? So we are also, you know, when we're quick to listen, listening means we have to learn to listen. We have to listen to learn, sorry. We have to listen to learn. And that is illustrated to me every day in kindergarten, every day. So I had to do a craft with my kids on Friday, and if you know me, you know that that's kind of like purgatory for me. <laughs> I hate crafts. Uh, my kids you know, make a craft, and I'm like, oh, that's so great, and the next trash can we pass, that's where they go, unless they deeply love the craft. <laughs> it's like, that is not my thing. So 
There's a special jewel for those of you who, who make crafts happen in heaven. Like your crown, you have a craft jewel, I believe. So anyway, we had to do a craft. And I carefully, painstakingly, slowly, and very little chunks, here's step one. Here's how you do step one. Here's how step one looks. And then I had to go individually demonstrate it for all 12 of them. Because did anybody listen? No. And that's how it went, the whole craft. Then, then we have another thing at our school where the teacher will say, a phrase and the students have a response. So I'll say lines, and that means, the, and then kids will say sprint straight silent, which means they have to quickly get in a straight line and be quiet. And I'll say lines, and they all say sprint straight silent, and nothing happens. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not saying it so we can have a fun back and forth. Get in line quickly and be quiet. <laughs> that is the objective right now. And what's really funny is my kindergartners actually do that pretty well, but I also teach PE, and it's all the older kids who don't. I'm like, you know what, I can stand here all day while you figure out what a line is, right? So um, you have to listen to learn, and when we truly learn, it's gonna pan out in actions, right? The, the, the point of these exercises with the kids is not so we're saying something, it's so that they will do something. Uh, again, John MacArthur says in his commentary, listening means not letting our thoughts get in the way of hearing. Slow to speak, so this kind of transition here, but slow to speak includes the idea of being careful not to be thinking about one's own thoughts and ideas while someone else is trying to express God's. We can't really hear God's word when our minds are on our own thoughts. We need to keep silent on the inside as well as on the outside, right? So on Sunday mornings when Pastor Brian's preaching, we'd be focused on his words, not our, our to-do list or the next things that have to happen, right? So we have to be silent on the inside as well as the outside. So then our second point today, first, first point is this is how we respond to the word, Subpoint, quick to hear. Second point, subpoint is we need to be slow to speak. We need to be slow to speak. And again, the context is that we are to be careful what we say about God's word. We're going to have at least two other lectures on the tongue and the importance of being careful with our speech, but I want to really focus today on how we speak about the word of God, right? Because that's the context that we're in, and... So when we talk, James warns, in a couple, very shortly, he's going to warn that not many should be teachers, right? That they are held to a greater accountability. He, um, Paul warns in 1 Timothy 3.6 that new believers should not be elders or teachers or overseers, right? Because they'll be puffed up and become proud, and they need to be first matured and trained and taught. And so we have to be careful. And then I just think, but it's not just the teachers. It's how we teach each other. My sister and I, we were joking, actually another group of people, we were talking about all the things you shouldn't say to somebody grieving that we have all had said to us. Well-intentioned and scriptural, but it wasn't wise. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't appropriate. So just because you know a verse doesn't mean you're rightly applying it. And when you talk about scripture, you have to be rightly applying it. And when you tell somebody else about it, you need to be accurate, you need to be appropriate, and you have to be, um, sorry, I'm quite sure how to fix this. Um, and careful, and, and it would be better to not speak than to use that the wrong way, than to speak wrongly about God and his word, right? And then I think this just made me think, and I've thought about this for a few years, the social media platforms, have, are you teaching on your social media platform, right? I think a lot of times we don't think about that, but just because you can give an opinion doesn't mean you should, doesn't mean it's valid, and doesn't mean anybody else needs to hear it right? And that's completely the opposite of our culture, right? And so I think there are a lot of times, especially when things happen 
Um, I saw this happen with a pastor that was a good friend of mine. He was falsely accused of some things in the Facebook world, and that community blew up, and, and no one really was directly involved, had any full information on anything that had happened. Was say, they all should have been silent, but they were all trying to teach each other how we should think about the situation. Um, another thing I think that women are particularly culpable of doing is who we follow in our blogs, or who are you letting teach to you? So sometimes, I'll just, I don't have a blog, so I'm gonna be the example. I write a blog, and I write something you guys all love, and so then you tell all your friends, and suddenly I'm really popular, okay? And now, somebody says, you know what, maybe you should write a book, because you have this huge following, so we know it would sell. So I write a book. This happens all the time, by the way. <laughs> this happens all the time. So now, everyone's reading my book, and we all really like it, but who am I? What background do I have to be teaching? Why do I have a, because I was popular, I have a platform. And that's not even saying these women aren't saying some things that are true or aren't right, but they often have a mixed bag because they're not actually trained. And they're not under, like, even, that's why I love this ministry. We're under our elders, right? There is an automatic, like, oh, no, no, you're not going that way. No, we're not going here. There's an automatic safety that our elders know what we're teaching. They know what material is coming. They know who teaches. They know what's happening, and we do it in submission to them. So you have to be really careful who you let teach. And I know a lot of people who follow these teachers over and above their own pastors and elders. So we have to be very careful to be slow to speak and who we let speak into our life. Celebrities would be another one. Celebrity gets saved. It's wonderful to, for them to share their testimony, but they're a new believer, and yet we'll give them this platform, right? That's not how it works in the Bible. So we're slow to, we're quick to hear the word of God. We are careful and cautious and accurate and slow to speak, right? And then we are slow to anger. And that one might strike you as odd. Well, I love the word. I love God. Why would the Bible make me angry? Um, the Greek word here for anger does not refer to an explosive outburst of temper, but to an inner deep resentment that seethes and smolders, often unnoticed by others. It is therefore an anger that only the Lord and the believer know about. Therefore, it is a special danger in that it can be privately harbored. The word of God, right, is living and active and pierces us, right? So where do you get angry about the word? When it confronts your sin, your lifestyles, your beliefs, your idols. There are people who are very angry that we would say God sends people to hell, right? That angers them. That's an angry response to the word even though scripture clearly teaches that there is a righteous wrath of God, a holy wrath of God. So I just have a list of just a few things just to get our wheel. How could we be angry in response to the word? Submission to authorities. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter was writing to people under Nero, who he was, you remember, he burned Rome and then blamed the Christians and then martyred them for it. He's saying, submit to the emperor. Do you think that maybe could create an angry response in people's hearts? What about Hebrews 13, 17? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who are to give an account. And this is speaking about elders and pastors. So you're commanded to obey your elders and pastors. We are all commanded. And to submit to them. And then it goes on and says, and let them do this with joy and not with groaning. I kind of thought, what if Pastor Brian, you know, like Santa Claus, what if he had a joy to teach list? not joy to teach list, which list would I be on, right? Do I make it a joy for him to be my pastor? Where would we be? We're commanded to make it a joy for him. And we're commanded to obey our elders and leaders. 
Well, what if they ask you to do something you don't want to do or you don't like? And you know what? Sometimes they, they make mistakes and they're wrong. Right? The best men are men at best, right? I think that was J.C. Ryle. The best of men are men at best. I remind you again of, I think, another J.C. Ryle quote, that God works through authorities that fail. God is sovereign over the authorities that are in our life. He's sovereign over the counsel that they give us. He is sovereign over how he set them up to direct us. And God is sovereign over authorities that fail. I know a st- of a woman who her husband quit providing. And he didn't abandon them and leave them. Like it wasn't a divorce situation, but he wasn't earning any money because he was being lazy to the point they couldn't eat. And so the elders said, we will make sure you and your children have food. We will first, you have to trust us. We will take care of you to eat, but we are not filling your pantry because your husband has to come home and feel the weight of what he's doing. He has to see the consequences of his action, but you have to trust us that you'll eat. Would it maybe make you angry to submit to that? But they are right, right, in, try, in, in trying to bring their husband to repentance. What about submission to husbands? First Peter 3, 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of you do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This is talking about unbelieving husbands, right? Believing wives, unbelieving husbands, yet you're called to submit, right? Submission is not a popular thing to teach today, right? What about giving up your rights? I know a pastor who gave up the right to play community basketball and movies because there's such a, it's such a gray area of where people's consciences land that he never wanted to cause anyone in his congregation to stumble by seeing him come out of a movie that maybe their conscience couldn't handle seeing, right? And he was kind of a you know, competitive guy, and sometimes they felt like his competitiveness wasn't a good witness on the basketball court, so he quit playing basketball. Can you give up rights that are perfectly okay and perfectly acceptable for the good of others? 1 Corinthians 10 through 23 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. If one of the, un- if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. What is Paul talking about in the Corinthian church? Um, I'm going to pick up my sister. Becky and I go to dinner. We go to Heather's house. Heather is an unbeliever in this scenario. So we're at Heather's house, and Heather is offering us food sacrificed to idols, and I have a clean conscience about eating it, but Becky doesn't. And she said, Katie, we cannot eat this, right? I'm supposed to say, thank you so much, Heather, for that dinner, but I can't eat this. And in our culture and world today, we'd say we'd never want to offend the unbeliever. But the Bible says she'll know you're Christians by how you love your sister in Christ, right? That's how they know you're believers. You don't ever cause a believer to stumble. You prefer their, you, you go to the weaker brother in their conscience. That's what he's talking about. Can you give up your rights in order to help the weaker brother, in order to not cause somebody to stumble? What about tithing? <laughs> I read a study that 2% of evangelicals tithe regularly, right? 2%. But God commands that we tithe of the first fruits. He doesn't give a percentage, but he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I, I knew a man, 
and he, would, he was on a salary, so he knew exactly what he was earning for the year, and he would write out his checks. As January 1st, he'd sit down and write out all 12 checks that he was going to tithe just as a mental exercise for himself that he was giving to God first. And before he did any of his other expenses or budget, he had his 12 checks for each month. Here's my amount that I'm tithing. Do we prioritize giving and tithing, or does that make us angry because we have other plans for that money? Do you see all the ways the words could potentially confront us? Baptism. I've heard people justify not getting baptized because they're shy, they're afraid, they have social anxiety about standing up in front of people. And the Bible doesn't give any exception clause. It doesn't. You know, it says in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Right? What about confrontation? When you are confronted, do you receive that correction as life-giving reproof, as the Proverbs over and over say? He who rec can receive correction in the wounds of a friend, he will be wise, right? He's the one who will grow and mature. He's the one who will have life. Um, do you think God loves me? He's disciplining me. Or does it make you angry that someone will call you out on your sin? On the flip side, is there someone you're supposed to call out on your sin, and that's not for you? <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to wade into those waters. Somebody else can deal with them and their problems. But Matthew 18 and Galatians 6.1 say we are supposed to confront sin, patterns of sin that are, in, you know, I'm not saying you just find someone randomly, oh, I think you're doing that wrong. But when it's in your life and you, you're constantly through this pattern, you're supposed to help the weaker brother, help the disobedient brother come to repentance. What about forgiveness? What about forgiveness? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your father forgive your trespass. But Katie, you don't know what they did to me. They didn't do more to you than you did to Christ on the cross. And he's the one asking you to obey by forgiving. He's the one who will give you the strength to forgive. He's the one who will enable you. How many times do I have to forgive? Until you've lost count. 70 times 7, right? Until you've lost count. Attending church. I saw a forum where... If you had ever been abused by a church leader, you could go to this online church and never darken the door to a church again. But Hebrews says that we are not to forsake the assembly of believers. And yes, there are sad, <laughs> the church has a lot of sin in it, right? Because we are a group of sinners and there are many unbelievers even within churches. So I'm not saying that there has never been legitimate wrong done to someone, but you are called to go to church. Another thing I hear a lot, well, I do best communing with God in his creation. There is no Bible verse that says, go commune with me in my your creation. It says, do not forsake the assembly of the believers. And how do you practice the ordinances if you're out in, how do you do your baptism? And how do you do communion? And how do you do all of the one another's if it's just you on a nature walk, right? You, clearly, there are many commands you could not obey when you do that. Elizabeth Elliot was, was talking about emotions, and she told the story. Um, of a student who said, I had just have a lot of trouble with this, said the student. I mean, I'm just not sure how to work this out comfortably. Work it out comfortably, queried the Bible teacher. What has that to do with the will of God? Just because we're not comfortable and just because it confronts us does not mean it's not the will of God for us, right? And she went on to say, feelings like thoughts must be brought into captivity. No one who f whose first concern is feeling good can be a disciple. We are called to carry a cross and to glorify God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, if going through us, is going to pierce us. It's going to pierce us where the sin that we love resides. And we are, not, we are going to be quick to hear the word. We're going to be slow to speak. 
and we're going to be slow to anger. We don't want to be angry at God for the truth that his word is showing us. So that's our first point, how we respond to the word. And our second point is how to listen to a sermon. So James has kind of given us this three-point outline, and he's going to develop it a little bit further in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with weakness the implant receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So I'm borrowing this outline because I thought it was super helpful from Dr. Varner's commentary on James. And he says, so we have, again, three subpoints. So how to listen to a sermon. Number one, before the sermon, prepare. Before the sermon, prepare. So how do you prepare? First, just look at the verse we're supposed to put off. Lay aside all sin, filthy, wicked, filthy and rampant wickedness. Make sure you're right with the people in your church. Make sure you're not living in unrepentant sin. Be living a life of constant repentance and obedience. So we put off. And what do we put on? Well, we're supposed to be swift to hear, right? That's already been covered. We need to be, you put this off so that you can hear, all right? I remember, and sometimes there's very practical steps that you can take. My, my old college pastor used to say, granted, we were college students, so we like to stay up late. You know, Sunday morning begins Saturday night. When you've stayed out too late and you sleep through church, it's not helpful, right? But really, there are pra- there's a real practical implement. Go to bed on time. I mean, make sure you lay out your clothes the next day. Or if you have kids, make sure that they're, they're ironed and ready and clean. You can make church, and you're not making church in a frazzled, angry mess, right? Um, you can plan simple things that will actually free your mind and your heart to come to church and receive the word, okay? So before the sermon, prepare. Second, during the sermon, persevere. During the sermon, persevere. We are to receive the word. That's what we do. We receive the word with meekness. We receive it with meekness. The word is able to save our soul. So first we receive, and second, we retain. So you receive the word, and you retain what you've heard. Um, Dr. Varner used the phrase engrafted. The word is to be engrafted into us. I really like that imagery, right? You take a branch, and you make it part of a vine or part of another tree, and it actually becomes a, you know, a, new, a whole. It's, it's now part of that tree. The word is to be engrafted into our life. That same picture of Colossians 3.16, that the word indwells in us, right? So it's engrafted in it. So, you re- so during the sermon, you persevere. You fight against those distractions, and you receive the word, and you retain the word. And after the sermon, you practice. After the sermon, you practice. So before prepare, during persevere, and after the sermon, you practice. And that brings us to the, the examples that James gives in verse 23. But be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Right? So we do not want to only be hearers. And that goes back to what I told you with the kids when I say lines and they don't do anything. Right? They're not obedient. They're not practicing what they've been taught. Right? They are to obey. They are to do. That's a, that's a trigger. The words are a trigger for them to do, for them to remind. So we are to not just be hearers, but to do. And then positively, as we do, we want to not be people who look in a mirror and forget what you look like. As women, I think, you know, we understand that we don't forget what we look like when we look in a mirror. And it's supposed to be the same way with, it, with God's word. It reflects our heart back to us. And we don't want to walk away and forget. We want to rightly practice and change. Um, again, Dr. Varner says, do you look in, th- in the mirror or only at the mirror? We can also look at the word of God without looking into the word. So how to listen to a sermon. Before the sermon, prepare. During the sermon, persevere. After the sermon, practice. Our faith will result in obedient works. And then finally, true religion. 
verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. One of the commentators I read said, lack of self-control can reveal a lack of saving faith. Lack of self-control can reveal a lack of saving faith. Your tongue, you can hide maybe a lot of things about you, but your tongue will reveal them. <laughs> your tongue will give you away. And if you don't have control of your tongue as a pattern of your life, you need to probably examine, do you have saving faith? Because our faith is going to work out in control of our speech, as we already saw in verses 19 and 20. Okay, so with lack of self-control can reveal lack of saving faith. We're going to control our words, but also religion. What is religion? Religion kind of uh, maybe in our circles has maybe a negative connotation because we just think of, I don't know, world religions. But religion is just the outward manifestation of a person's faith. Religion is just an outward manifestation of a person's faith. So our faith in Christ is real. If our religion is real, true, which it is, right, it's going to have an outward manifestation. And how will that look? Self-controlled speech will also look like we care for the needy and the poor. It was interesting to me to learn this week as we studied that it doesn't just mean that you're, you give them, you're just meeting their physical needs, but it actually means that you are involved in their life, that you're involved in their life. So true religion cares the needy and the poor, the destitute, in a way to be involved in their life. And I just thought, what are some practical ways we can do this? Um, there are an abundance of practical ways we can do this. I'm not going to probably even begin to touch on them. But one, the first thing that came to mind is Children's Hunger Fund. I don't know if you've heard of Children's Hunger Fund. It's really big in California. And I know they have an international presence. I don't know that it's in Kentucky. But they give food to children. And they do it in association with local churches. So a lot of churches will fill the boxes. And, and even if the, they don't, um, they, they, they partner with churches so that when they present the food, they also present the gospel, and they can tell those people what local church to go to. So it's not just here's some food. It's a gospel. It's reaching them with food with the gospel and plugging them to a local church if they're interested. And they're also one of the best organizations as far as the money you give going to that. Very, very, I think it's like 2% is administrative. I can't remember now. It's been quite a few years. But they work very hard to keep all their administrative and cost to the point that they're sending it out. And you can go online and look them up. They have actually a lot of really neat resources for understanding how to, to care and help for the hungry. But you can give to them if you wanted to for international needs as well. Um, orphans. I used, I just picking things that I use in my life. Slavic Gospel Association is another trustworthy organization that does a ton of work in um, all, you know, what used to be the USSR with orphans, where there are, are abundant amount of orphans over there. And they do incredible work from summer camps to, to reaching them with the gospel. They're a great organization to support with that. Um, foster care. You could talk to our own Heather Mitzel about how to get involved with that. But one of the most practical and easy ways for you to do it is to come to the Mosaic Women's Quarterly Meeting and talk to Mar Martha Michaels. That meeting is for everyone in the church. It's a wonderful time for us, and she works hard to do the outreach work for our women's ministry. And she is involved in Nicole's Place. She is involved with um, Scarlet's Hope. She is involved with prison ministries and halfway homes. And if she's not involved with it, I'm sure she knows about it. Because right? she burns herself out reaching out to these people. And you could come and you could talk to her. So the most, I mean, right here in our own church, come to the meeting, talk to Martha. She has countless opportunities for us to serve and to reach out right here in Louisville, right in our community. And Martha would love to talk to you about it. And if you don't know who she is, just come find me. I'll point her out and come to the Mosaic Quarterly Meeting. That's, it's, that's probably the easiest way for you to, to practically take a step there. So just to, to recap what we've said, how do we respond to the word? We respond to the word by being 
quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For sermons, we prepare our hearts, right? And we persevere during the sermon and we practice it. And that's going to show itself in the fruit of a self-controlled tongue and true care for the needs of the destitute and the poor, right? Our religion will work itself out in deeds. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for how practical your word is. It's not um, mysterious what you mean here. It's very clear what you want us to do and what you're calling us to do. And though it's simple, it doesn't mean it's easy. So I pray that you'd give us obedient hearts and minds and attitudes, that we would not resist your conviction of sin in our life. We wouldn't resist the work of the Holy Spirit to mature us, but that we would be humble and teachable to receive the word and to learn the easiest way possible. But because we are so receptive and teach, you doesn't take, um, you don't have to be ruled like the horse with the bit and the bridle, but that we would be governed by your spirit and could learn easily. I pray we would leave being obedient doers of the word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.